You know, Sean was talking earlier about things that look pitiful. I mean, you've never seen something pitiful until you've seen a yak. I mean, just look. Many of our yaks are sitting over here. And just look at the pitiful look on their faces. I mean, I mean, how many of you guys could really use a, a lunch today? Just go ahead. Raise your hand. If you could use some food, right? Yeah. Now, some of you are raising your... You're not yaks. <laughs> some of you are like, I could use some food. Sure. Hey, I, I thought, man, I'll adopt a yak. That'd be cool. Bring people over to your house. It's like, hey, what's that in the backyard? Yak. You know, I mean, that is great. YAC stands for Young Adult in College, by the way. I'm uh, just going to let you know, some people I know were thinking, this is going to be awesome. We're going to get a YAC. That's going to be great. Uh, now, when you adopt a YAC, don't put them in your backyard because they will not like it. Uh, keep them in your home somewhere, maybe in an um, upstairs room, in a basement garage, wherever you want to do. Bring them out every so often. They like to be fed, like to be watered, and um, they also enjoy um, nice sparkly things. So um, whatever you want to do when it comes to um, how you treat your yak, go ahead and do that. But we're looking forward to hearing more about that, being able to to adopt, um, adopt a yak. And also, Sean, did you say that it was Suzanne Summers that used to put people on there? Is that what he said? Wasn't it Sally Struthers? Isn't that? Uh, and there's a big difference between those two, let me tell you. I mean, just saying, I don't know, just, uh, hey, um, <laughs> big difference. Hey, today is the 13th of January. That means that for the majority of you, as of yesterday, you officially jettisoned all of your New Year's resolutions. Because it has been determined that January the 12th is the day that most people around the world say, I was going to do what? <laughs> no, no, I really wasn't going to. That was just a suggestion. That was just something I was thinking about, all right? So, you are able to look now at your husband, wife, whoever it is that might be sitting close by and say, next year. Just, you know, it's all right. Just say, next year. I'll try. I'll do better. But all of the resolutions are now out the door and we can all go back to just being ourselves. Because let's be honest, people who are trying to accomplish resolutions are grumpy people. Can I get an amen about that, right? You made some type of resolution, something that you were going to do, and your spouse cannot wait until you finally broke that resolution because man have you been grumpy just complaining all the time and just and they're just like would you just please go back and being the old you I mean that's who I'm married anyway that's what I want the old us is the old us the best us I guess is a good question you see as a church we're talking about what if what if we had certain values that we operated on that were so fundamental, so fundamental to our, to our church culture, that it would have a dramatic impact not only on us, but also on those that, that we have interaction with and on those that we, we see each and every, those that we see each and every day. And so as leadership, we spent much of last year walking through different, different scriptures and we spent time in prayer saying, you know, what is, it that, what is it that God desires for his people? What does he want his people to be about? What does he want his people to be doing? And, and we made a, made a resolution of some sort. 
A resolution that said, you know what? We are going to be about God's business. And this is what we're going to do. And this is, this is how we're going to do it. And, and we're just going to spend time here in January and in February kind of just rolling out what all that is going to look like. And our goal is that it's not going to be something that just lasts for a couple of weeks, but it's going to be something that is going to become our identity in the months and the years that are going to continue. And during this process, it'll be a growing process, and, and there'll be times where we just become grumpy because you know what? It can be easy just to want to be the person that we used to be. It can be easy just to want to be the church that we used to be and kind of go about things the way that we used to go about them. And yet there's something special. There's something special about a group of people who open their hearts up to God and say, Lord, you, you do with me whatever it is you want to do. So last week we said, you know what? What if, what if we... Just love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What if? What if we did that? And one of the things we mentioned was that, you know what? We will look a little bit different than the world around us. Because our lives should look crazy. Our lives should look different from someone who is not loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That makes sense, right? I mean, if you are sold out for Jesus, if I am sold out for God, then my life should look different than someone else who says, you know what, I'm really not into this Jesus thing. I don't really know about this whole idea of, of God. There should be a difference that is, that is seen there. And so I ask you at the end of our study time last week to just take the front of your glory, praise, and honor. It's, it's there and it's just blank. And I just said, just dream. Dream about what your life would look like if you truly said, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice for God like I sacrifice for nothing else. What would our church community look like if we were to truly love God more than anything else and sacrifice for him? And I've heard from different ones over the week and I've heard some of your some of your dreams and I've heard about some of your prayers and I just want to continue. I want you to continue to do that. I want you to continue to, to look on that GPH even this week and see that blank space and, and work at just filling that up with whatever the Spirit of God brings to your heart when it comes to the way in which we live before him. And so we're going to expand today and we're going to take this idea a little bit further. Not just the idea of, of, of loving God, but also the idea today of loving people. You know, when you think about Jesus and you go to the scripture, you can't help but when you think about Jesus to think about people. Because it seems like Jesus was always with people. And you think about Jesus' stories with people. And you think about, well, there was, uh, there was Nicodemus and there was the woman at the well and, and there was little Zacchaeus and all these different characters that come to mind. Because when you think about Jesus, you think about others. And here's something that you can't get away from. People who are nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. Did you know that? I mean, people who had nothing in common with him, people who were not even familiar with him, there was still some kind of connection. And they didn't just like Jesus, they wanted to be with Jesus. And they invited Jesus into their home. And some people said, you know what, I'm going to give up the things that I am doing in order to go and, and spend time with you. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. 
And Jesus loved people who were nothing like him. He did. Jesus loved people. He didn't just tolerate people. He didn't just get along with people. But Jesus actually genuinely loved people. And so I started thinking, what if? What if we love people like Jesus loved people? What if we did that? Because I need to be honest with you about something. A long time ago, the church got out of the people business. Now, I can't look back and necessarily pinpoint exactly when it happened. You can go back centuries and you can look at all types of Christian history, but you cannot help but come to the conclusion that the people of God no longer look at other people the way that God looks at people. The church got out of the people business. There was a book a few years back that was written by Dan Kimball. It's called They Like Jesus, But Not the Church. Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you have a copy. And it gave some great information about the way in which society was approaching, was approaching the whole idea of, of religion. And, and here are just a few of the things that that people who just were asked, hey, what do you think about church? Here's just a few of the things that they said. They said the church is an organized religion with a political agenda. The church is judgmental and negative. The church is dominated by males and oppresses females. The church is homophobic. The church arrogantly claims all other religions are wrong. The church is full of fundamentalists who take the whole Bible literally. And those were things that were said about the church. And maybe you sit out there and you go, well, I don't have a problem with some of those things. And yet people more and more were saying, you know what, I've got a problem with church. I don't really have a problem with, with Jesus. I like Jesus. But I don't really like the church. And, and guess who the number one group, the number one group who would say, I like Jesus but not the church. Guess who that group is? It's not young people. Now, I know a lot of times we talk about um, uh, millennials and those who are coming after them and, and the difficulty when it comes to, to reaching our current young population because of so many who now say, I'm really not of any kind of religious background. And yet, the people who say they like Jesus but not the church the most are baby boomers. Yeah, baby boomers. Many of you guys. And right after that, it's my generation, Generation X. The majority of people who will say, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church, age 35 to 70. You say, why is it, why, why those people? It's because those people have had the most contact with church. Yeah. Those people have had the most contact with church. And they found, you know what? It's pretty lacking in some cases, at least when you compare it to Jesus. Studies have found, Barner Research has been all over this, and they have said the, the longer you have contact with the church, the more likely you are to be dissatisfied with church. Why? I mean, how can that be? 
Because a long time ago, the church, I'm afraid, got out of the people business. Kimball says this. He says this is what goes on with, with church people. He says the first thing that happens is we become Christian. We become Christians and we, we step out of our previous life into this life with God and we strive to figure out exactly what that means and, and what it means to live by grace and what it means to walk by faith and we begin to spend time with Christians and then we become part of church life and we do church things and we go to church camp and we attend church retreats and we start listening to, to all of these different um, church teachers and, and preachers. We begin to read church books and our life and our calendar just revolves around it so that we see many of the things that take place within our lives have to do with with church and then we become a part of the Christian bubble and most of our friends are church friends and most of the people that we hang out with are church people and the music we listen to is Christian music and the schools that we go to have a Christian focus and our lives just seem to be enveloped by everything Christian. And he sat there and go, well, yeah, isn't that what, is, what we want? Isn't that what, what God wants of us? Well, understand something. It's great when you give your life over to God. It is great for you to put yourself in an environment where you're going to be encouraged and where you're going to be nurtured, where you're going to grow, and where you're going to be challenged to serve. But here's what Kimball says. That after we become Christian and become part of church life and we begin living in the Christian bubble, then we become Jonah. And if you're not familiar with, with Jonah, Jonah was an Old Testament dude that was told by God that, look, I want you to go and I want you to, to preach to this group of people called Ninevites. And, and Jonah and his people hated the Ninevites and he didn't want to see them change. He didn't want to see God's forgiveness be given to them because they were so corrupt and, and, and evil. And Kimball, Kimball says, you know, that's, that's kind of what happens to us. Let me read something to you. He says along this line, like Jonah in the Hebrew Bible, we run away from God when told, when God told him to go to the wicked city of Nineveh. We don't want anything to do with those who aren't following God as we are. Like Jonah, we have a secret sense of delight thinking about how God will one day punish all those sinners in our towns and cities. Like Jonah, who even after God gave him a second chance and he saw the people of Nineveh repent and cry out to God, complained about not having shade over his head and being uncomfortable, we complain about how well the church is providing what we want and grow numb to the fact that people all around us need the love and grace of Jesus. Guys, it happens. We don't intend for it to, but it's just a, a trap that we begin to fall into. If you don't believe me, think about this. How many of your friends are not followers of Jesus? How many of the people that you spend time with don't believe in God? Question the Bible. How many of the people that, that you spend time with live differently than you do? See, if we're honest about it, we all have navigated toward our, our own little Christian community. And we spend time with those who think like us and act like us and look like us and 
sing like us and pray like us and worship like us and believe like us and everything, everything like, like us. And so this may shock some of you. It might not. I don't know. But we need to, we need to understand something. God loves people. Do you know that? God loves people. All people. He loves big people and he loves small people. He loves skinny people and he loves fat people. He does. He loves people with great eyesight. He loves people with poor eyesight. He loves people who live in the city. And he loves people who live in the country. He loves Clemson fans. He loves Alabama fans. He loves Georgia fans. He loves Tennessee fans. He really loves Auburn fans. He loves people. He loves white people and black people and, and, and brown people and, and red people and green people and purple people and, and all kinds of colored people in between. He loves people. He loves straight people. He loves gay people. He loves rich people. He loves poor people. He loves man people. He loves woman people. He loves old people. He loves young people. He loves Democrat people. He loves Republican people. He even loves Trump people. He loves people. He loves people. There's a reason that scripture says, for God so loved the world. And sometimes we read that and we think that what it actually says is that God so loves people like me. He loves my world. And he loves my family. And he loves my church. And he loves my community. He loves my city. He loves my country. But folks, God loves people. And people liked Jesus because Jesus loved people. Why is it that people are flocking to Jesus in Scripture? Why is it that when you think of Jesus, you always think of him in the context of having a conversation or relationship with one person or another? It's because people liked him. And they liked him because, well, Jesus loved people. Now, let me tell you what that means real quick. Open up to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I want to walk you through just a couple of different things here. Because what if we loved people like Jesus loves people? Here's what that's going to mean. Jesus-like love is a with you love. It's a with you love. It means that there is going to be presence. It means that there's going to be interaction. It means that we're going to know individuals' names. It means that we're going to know where they live. It means that we're going to understand what's going on in their life and with their, with their family. It is a with you love. It's outside the bubble. It's outside the box. It's outside the church building. There in Matthew chapter 9, I want you to look at a couple of different things here. In verse 9, it says, And Jesus went on from there, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Matthew was nothing like Jesus. Matthew was nothing like the religious of his time. He had turned his back on his own people, on the Jews, the Israelites who were there under Roman authority. And he was collecting taxes from his own people to give to this powerful army nation that was there in control of Palestine and his own people hated him for it 
He wasn't able to enjoy temple. He wasn't able to enjoy synagogue. He wasn't able to enjoy the relationship to God that the others had because he was considered to be an outcast. And yet Jesus is walking along and he sees him. Why? Because when you love somebody like Jesus loves, you see people. You see people. Not just people that look like you. Not just people that act like you. But you see people. So the only opportunity that Jesus had for seeing. A little bit later on down in the chapter, verse 22, Jesus is on his way. He has been requested to go to the home of Jairus to, to care for a daughter who has died. And while he is on the way, there is someone who reaches out among the crowd and touches him. And he feels power leave him. And he turns, and it says in verse 22, that he turns and among this big crowd that's following him, that he saw the woman. He sees her. He asked the question beforehand, hey, who touched me? And his disciples are wondering, what do you mean who touched you? You're surrounded by all these people. And so Jesus, not content just to keep going on his journey, begins to search. And there, there she is. And he sees her. He sees her. Because when you love like Jesus, you see people. You see people who are hurting. You see people who are in need. You see people who others cast aside. You, you, you see people who have gone through everything that they can trying to find healing, trying to find some type of restoration and they can't get it anywhere else. And yet you see them. And you see what they're going through. You see their pain. But you don't just see it, just as Sean mentioned earlier. You do something about it. Jesus continues on after this woman has been healed. He enters the home of Jairus. He sends away all the mourners who were there making this loud spectacle about death that had taken place in the home. And he goes to be with the girl. And it says in verse 25 that he went in. And notice this. That he took the girl by the hand. You know, he could have just said, hey, why don't you get up? As we heard earlier, he yelled out to Lazarus. But for this girl, he goes and he takes her by the hand. He takes her by the hand. Afterwards, he leaves there. A couple of guys who are blind follow him. They follow him and they scream, have mercy on us, son of David. And in verse 29, it says that he touched their eyes. And he said that because of their faith, they were going to be healed. He could have said something. He could have done anything. But there he goes and touches. He touches the very core of their need. And gives them back their sight. You see, when you love people like Jesus loved people, it is a with you type of love. Where you're willing to see those who are different from you. Where you're willing to see those who are hurting and who are afflicted. And when you are seeing them, you are then willing to do something about it. And engage them in their life. And to go and actually touch the source of their pain. And risk the source of their pain touching you. You see, when Jesus touches the girl who is dead, it should have made him ceremonial unclean in the Jewish religion. 
And yet he brought life to that which was dead. He wasn't worried about what others thought. He wasn't worried about what other people would say because he loved people. And it was a with you type of love. And when you love like Jesus, love is also going to be a for you type of love. A love that says, you know what, I'm going to be your advocate. And I'm going to be your biggest fan. And I'm going to be the one who is constantly cheering you on. And I'm going to be the one that is going to be in your corner. And I'm going to be the one that's going to lift you up when you fall down. And I'm going to be the one who's going to hold your hands up when you can't raise your arms any higher. It's going to be that kind of relationship that we're going to have. Because I have a for you love. He says, this is what I want for my people. Jesus went through all the towns and villages in verse 35, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now the words that are used there when it talks about being harassed and helpless, the, the literal wording there means that they had been skinned alive. The word means to flay. Understand what he is seeing as he looks out among the people. The hurt and the pain that the people are dealing with. And the wording it says there, where it says that they are helpless, it's a word that means to be cast away. It's a word that means that you are no longer wanted. It's a word that means that people no longer want to have relationship with you. And Jesus looks out and he sees people who are in pain and who have no family, who have no friends, who have no relationships. And it just begins to boil up within him. And it says that he had compassion. Why? Because he saw them. He saw their pain. He saw the evil that was present in their life. And the wording that's used can mean that it's something that happens to an individual or it's something that the individual causes to have happened to themselves. And you've seen it. You've been there yourself. There have been things that have happened to you that you did not plan, you did not wish for, you did not want. And yes, it's brought so much heaviness to your life. And there have been decisions that you have made that were just boneheaded decisions that you're like, now I'm having to live with the consequences of my actions. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm for these kind of people. I'm for the people that life is against. And I'm for the people who they have caused their own problems and they've gotten themselves into their their own hole of misery and depression. He says, I am for these people. And this is how you know that he's for them because he looks at the disciples and he says, understand, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. He says, look, I'm for these people. And the focus here is on empathy, not evangelism. Maybe you've read this passage before and you've read it in the context of sending workers to the harvest field and maybe you've heard someone say, hey, this is all about the church getting out and converting the world. It's not what this is dealing with. 
Jesus here is saying, look, I need some people who are going to be with others and who are going to be for others. I need some individuals who are going to love people like I love people, like my father loves people. And the fields, they're white unto harvest, and we need more workers who are going to be willing to go out and confront the evil and the pain that is present within society and to get mixed up in all that ugliness and to go into the darkness and to bring some light. It's a call for mercy. And Jesus says, are there any of those people here? And friends, this is where the church should stand up and say, here I am. Send me. Because we love people. Now, I want you to know something that's going on here at our, within our church family where we're, trying to, where we're trying to get better with this. Our community outreach ministry has within it a new work of loving called New Beginnings. And New Beginnings is, New Beginnings is going to be using one of our properties that we have here on our campus. As you're going out um, our back entrance on to Jenkins, uh, there is a house as you exit onto Jenkins that sits on the right side. And that is a part of our church property. And we are in the process right now of renovating that space. And we are renovating it for a purpose. Because in a few months, we are going to be housing two to three females who have been recently released from prison, who have been dealing with substance abuse, who have been dealing with addiction. And we're going to be providing that home for them to, to live in as a place of safety, as a place for healing, as a place for them to be able to begin their life anew. And there's going to be interactions that these ladies are going to be having with our church family as a whole. They're going to be uh, different, um, different activities that they're going to be participating in here within our uh, church body. And we're going to love on these ladies. But we're not going to say, hey, listen, listen, everybody. These are the new beginnings, ladies. They're just ladies who happen to live on our property. We're not going to make a big deal about that. But you're going to meet some different individuals over the next few months. And you're going to have the opportunity to love on them. And there's ways for you to work behind the scenes and to work right up front within this very special ministry. And I want to invite you to a meeting about this today. It's going to be going on after our time of Bible class. So around 1120, 11.25, you can go and meet in our overflow room. So if you go out of our doors here in the back and take a right, walk all the way around, you'll find our overflow room. And there's going to be a meeting there with those who are working within this ministry. And you're going to hear about opportunities that you have, such as helping and providing spiritual guidance, working with when it comes to resume preparation, helping in transportation, helping in tutoring, helping making personal budgets, just being an encourager. Maybe you have a job opportunity where you'll be able to, to hire one or more of these young women to work at your place of, of employment. 
Now, as I mentioned, we're in the process of renovating the home and putting those things together. When you leave this morning and walk out our doors, there is a table right outside these middle doors. And there's going to be representatives from the New Beginnings Ministry, and they're going to be there. And they're going to have a sheet of paper. And on that page is going to be listed some large items that are needed for this home. Large items that uh, we're going to be needing such as love seats and couches and some bed frames and, and things of that nature that maybe you have. Now understand, we don't want what you don't want. Hear me now. Everybody hear this? We do not want what you do not want. Because we love these women. And because we love these women, if you have something that you have, you say, you know what? I think this would be great in that house. Or, or, or if you want to go and purchase one of these large items, say, you know what? I don't have something, but I want to go and purchase that. Fine. Go talk to the people that are going to be in the back by the table. Pick up the list that's there. Look at the different things that are going to be needed. The lamps, the recliners, the end tables, uh, the different things that are going to be needed for this house. And you make the decision, you know what? You're going to be for these women and you're going to be with these women and you're going to help provide for this home. And coming up over the next few weeks, you're going to find out through your Bible classes how different classes are going to have the opportunity to furnish a specific room with some of the smaller needs and the utensils that need to go into the kitchen and, and different things that are going to need to be put in the bedroom and, and things of that nature. We're going to give everybody an opportunity to participate. And so you're going to hear more about this. And you say, well, why are we doing something like this? It's because we believe that God's people need to get back into the people business. We need to get back into the people business. Because for too long, churches have been more concerned about rules than they have been with relationships. And those rules have created barriers. And people have thought, you know what? I don't fit with that group because I don't look like them. And I don't dress like them. And I don't talk like them. And I don't walk like them. And I don't even know if I believe like them yet. And Jesus says, is there anybody willing to go out into the fields? Is there anybody willing to go out into the fields where the people have been flayed, where the people have been cast away and love and be with them and be for them? Is there anybody willing to do that? And it's high time that the people of God get back in the people business and say, you know what? Because God loves people, we love people. What if? What if we loved people like Jesus loved? What if we saw like Jesus saw? What if we touched more like Jesus touched? What could happen? What could God do? What if we simply just loved our neighbor? That's it. And people say, what's your church about? Two things. We love God and love people. No, but, but what else? That's it. Wait a minute, but, but, but there's got to be something. No, nope, you love God and you love people. It's pretty simple. That's it. Well, what if we were that church? What if we were known by being those type people? And people say, well, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus have rules? Yeah, he did. Love God, love people. And we want to walk in his steps it's not, wait a minute, but didn't Jesus have expectations for people? Yeah, love God, love people. It's amazing what happens and what takes place. What if you loved your neighbor like Jesus loves your neighbor?
What if you loved your coworker like Jesus loves your coworker? What if you loved your teacher like Jesus loves your teacher? What, what, if, what, if you, what if you loved what if you loved your enemy like Jesus loves your enemy? What if you loved the immigrant like Jesus loves the immigrant? What if, what if you loved your spouse like Jesus loves your spouse? What if you loved your kids like Jesus loved your kids? What if you loved God people like Jesus loves God people? And what if you loved the person so unlike you the way God loves that person? What change would be brought in your life? But more importantly, what change would be brought in theirs? Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for loving us. And Father, forgive us for those times when we have been so busy, when we have been so consumed by other things that we've just missed people. Forgive us for the times that we've made the, the list of the type of people that we wanted, the type that we didn't want. Forgive us for those times when we have shunned others and we've run in the opposite direction when we tried to create our own special bubble. Father, forgive us for the times when we have been judgmental, for the times where we have been proud. And open our eyes again so that we might be able to see. Remind us what grace is truly like. Remind us how you love us and allow that love to be what drives us in the relationships that we have. Help us to be looking for relationships. Help us to be looking for ways in which we can see and which we can touch. And Father, I pray for the women who are going to be staying here on our campus. And I pray that they, that they will know that they are loved. And Father, I pray for their future and for the relationships that they are going to have with, with their husbands, with their children. I pray for the job opportunities that are going to be coming their way. I pray for the struggles that they are going to continue to go through as they fight the addictions that are present in their life. But Father, we want them to be victorious and we want them to be a success story because we want them to know you and your love. Father, help us to be that church. The church that loves you and the church that loves others. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing and encourage each other. And maybe you are one of those people who need some loving on. Maybe you'd like to come this morning confessing your faith in Jesus Christ. And we'd love to celebrate your baptism if you'd like to do that this morning. Maybe you, maybe you've just been cast away and you're just like, does anybody love me? Does anybody care? Can I, can I pray with someone? We have individuals who are going to be in the back in our prayer room that's in the lobby. If you'd like to go and talk with someone there or you can come and talk to the, someone who will be here in the front. Whatever your need is, we, we encourage you to come. Let's let it be said of us, church, that you know what? Jesus loves me and so do his people. Let's stand and sing.